And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. As a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. So Paul and I were just in the locker room. A few players spoke, specifically Leonard Williams. We'll get into what he had to say as he gets set to go up against his former team the Jets this Sunday at MetLife Stadium but Paul off the top let's start with the latest on the injury front because I think that is the most telling piece of news that has come to the forefront today and the biggest news revolves around the offensive line as Pat Shermer spoke to the media earlier today and revealed that John Jalapio starting center is ways away so that means Spencer Pulley is going to start against the New York Jets. Pulley started nine games last year when Jalapio went down in week two against the Dallas Cowboys, broke his leg. So this is the luxury that the Giants have. Another player who has plenty of starting experience going back to his days with the Chargers. Then the other aspect of the offensive line is Mike Remmers. Mike Remmers is right now iffy. If he can't go at the right tackle position, Nick Gates would slide in. So we could potentially have two new faces on the offensive line. And you know, while this has been a subject, Paul, we've talked about in great detail over the the last few seasons, they've actually kept the entire offensive line together for the first nine games of the season. We haven't had any injuries that we've had to discuss. No, that's very true, Lance. And when you talk about Pulley, you're talking about a guy who last year, when he came in for the whole second half of the season, only allowed two and a half sacks and did a marvelous job, in my opinion, of getting to the second level. Those of you who have listened to me either on the fan or MSG or, for that matter, this program, know about my admiration for Spencer Pulley. I thought that last year you could make a very strong argument that during the second half of the season when he got into the lineup, he was about as good an offensive lineman as the Giants had uh, during that part of the schedule. And so I thought when they re-signed him, not only was it a brilliant move, I gave him the edge. I thought he would win the center's job coming out of training camp this season. But, of course, John Jalapio, who had come off of the, the broken leg, which he suffered in week two last year in Dallas, uh, was able to come back. He rehabbed. Good for him. He's a great guy. Everybody likes him. Wonderful, wonderful guy who's been through the wars many times. I think he's got like five years of pro football experience at all different levels. Uh, the Giants uh, decided that it was basically almost a 50-50 battle and that Jalapio was the favorite guy. Now, as I had said before, uh, in the past, Jalapio was a little bit wider, bigger frame, known to be a little bit better in run blocking, and Pulley clearly known to be better in pass blocking. More athletic, more able to get to the second level uh, if he's going to take on other defenders down downfield. Um, again, I thought Pulley would win the job. It didn't happen that way. Now, what I will say is, Pulley, as you've also heard me describe over the offseason, put on 10 pounds of muscle. He's a lot bigger and a lot wider up top than he was last year. I think that could bode well for him. That may help him be a better all-around player to the point where if he comes in and does a really good job these next couple of weeks, I don't think it's out of the question that he could hold the job and win it and keep it. And so for the Giants' sake, uh, I just hope that whatever the case may be, they get maximum production out of every one of these spots. Nick Gates, as you said, the second-year player out of Nebraska who was a tackle at Nebraska – but I still think better projects as a guard in the NFL. He's played a little bit as the jumbo tight end this year. 
Uh, he is right now the best option at tackle. Um, he played a little bit of tackle in the preseason, specifically left tackle. Yep. Because quite honestly, the depth chart is so thin at that position. They figured, look, he played tackle in Nebraska. We might as well throw him in there and give him some snaps because we don't have anybody else. So that's where it stands now. If Remmers can't get better, he didn't, was not practicing today. If he can't get better quickly, Nick Gates will be the starting right tackle. Remmers dealing with the back injury, jalapeno hamstring. Both of them were limited or did not practice yesterday. To be more specific, Jalapio did not practice. Remmers was limited. And then, of course, Evan Ingram, who in all likelihood is not going to suit up this week because of, obviously, the injury that he sustained and then re-aggravated, which is the mid-foot sprain that they're classifying it. The good news is it doesn't seem to be a Liz Frank injury, which when a Liz Frank injury right. comes up, that usually means surgery and you're definitely done for the season. So, Right now, his status is up in the air. Highly unlikely he's going to suit up. So we're talking about, Paul, a Giants offense that is going to be down Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. And there's going to be an opportunity for some of the other wideouts like Darius Slayton to continue to take on a bigger role, as well as Red Ellison to be involved more as the receiving tight end because, you know, this is now going to be another game in which the Giants are not going to be 100%. We've been talking about perhaps anticipating that game where Daniel Jones has everybody around him, still right? Hasn't happened. And he still hasn't had an opportunity to cash in you on know, I didn't have that either in week one or two because yeah. Tate was on suspension. Correct. So the, the Giants have yet to put their full and complete offense on the field. And we're already nine games in, which is a shame. But it is what it is. Ingram said he expects to be reevaluated uh, after the bye. bye. Yeah. So maybe... Maybe he's back for the Bears game. Don't know. Shepard, he's already back here. Went to see the concussion specialist in Pittsburgh. Suited up for the Giants today. Did not participate in practice per se, but was in gear and did wind sprints on the side with the trainers. And was running probably at about 75%. Um, so that's a good sign. But of course, they are still going to do everything they possibly can to make sure he's okay. The medical people, uh, I, I applaud them for taking the, the side of caution. Oh, 100%. You have to. Yeah, you have yeah. to. It's a given. And, and whether or not, you know, obviously I, I don't think it's likely he plays this week. That would also give them the bye week to give him even more time yep. for them to contemplate and decide what they should do with him. Uh, I think all the possibilities are open, including shutting them down for the season. I'm not saying that they will do that, but I think every possibility exists. Yeah, I, w I would agree with you. I, I think everything is on the table at this point. You know, the thing about concussions is even when a player starts to make progress, which was the case with Sterling Shepard, and we talked about this last week, we talked about this on the WFAN Giants Radio Network pregame show, it is such a fluid situation, Paul. You could have a great week of practice, and then all of a sudden wake up the next morning and then deal with symptoms. So, you know, it's not like a knee injury where you rehab it consistently. No. It gets back to 100%. And yes, there's always a chance you're going to re-aggravate it. But you figure based on what the tests show and everything else, you're back to full force. Concussions don't work like that. So that's why... You can make progress over three straight days. The fourth day, you could very well have a setback. So that's why everything has to be on the table for Sterling Shepard because they just don't know day-to-day -day what's going to come up.
And that's why there's no reason to rush him back on the field. I think he understands that. That's why he's been meeting with specialists. He put things, I think, very well in perspective when he spoke to the media the other week, you know, that there's more to acknowledge than just necessarily the X's and O's. I actually thought what Golden Tate had to say the other day was also very telling, you know, about how supportive the team has been, Paul, of what Sterling's going through, Mm -hmm. you know, that they look at this, that it's much larger than football. He's got a family. He's got a young kid. And that there's more to life than, than just the urgency of getting back on the field and helping your teammates. So I think there's no question that as you laid out, the team is going to make sure that every T is crossed, every I is dotted, and then some. And it's not in pencil, it's in full ink. So uh, we'll keep you posted on this program as he continues to make progress. But that's the injury report as it stands right now. Real quickly before we open up the phone lines, Paul, because usually Thursday we try to give a detailed synopsis of the opponent that the Giants are going to go up against, and they're getting a Jets team that is in 1-7, has a number of issues. Probably the most telling statistic for the Jets is the fact that they have surrendered 37 sacks. That's the second most in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And you just wonder, okay, is this going to be a game where the Giants are going to be able to tee off and capitalize on a Jets offensive line that has not clicked? Leonard Williams spoke to the media earlier today, and he was asked, was there something you picked up on when you went up against this group in practice? Why the Jets offensive line has struggled? And what he said was it, there's been a lot of movable parts. There's been some guys that have been in and out of the lineup as a result of injury. One of the guys that comes into mind is Kelvin Beecham, who's returning. So, you know, they've had the whole issue with Kelechi Osemele and, you know, him wanting surgery, and they ultimately parted ways with him. So I think that there is some truth to that, that they've had some movable parts in and out of the lineup. And like anything else, when you have some injuries that you're dealing with, it's hard for a unit to build chemistry from that standpoint. Well, is it any wonder that not only have they had a high sack number, but that Le'Veon Bell has not been Le'Veon Bell? Of course, yeah. I mean, look at him. He looks very pedestrian right now. That's what happens when you don't run behind the Steelers' offensive line anymore. Bingo. I mean, so, and, you know, here's the thing. The last two games, the Jets scored touchdowns on their first two possessions after not doing so on their previous 30 tries, okay? This is an offense that's had a lot of trouble for a long time and then got off to good starts the past two weeks and thought that maybe they could sustain that and clearly didn't, especially against the Miami Dolphins. Now, why does it all go bad for them? Pass pro, no doubt. Running game, a mess. Quarterback, in my opinion, very, very ultra inconsistent. You know, uh, I mean, I look, I get it. Daniel Jones has had a lot of turnovers himself. He leads a league in them. But uh, I think he's so much further along than Sam Darnold. And Donald's already been in the league for two years. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was not impressed. When Darnold came out, I did not think... I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it. Josh Allen, long-term, is going to be the best quarterback in that class. I've said it a thousand times. I'm going to continue to say it. Josh Allen is the guy. He was the best guy in that class. Darnold was not. Um, We'll see. Yeah, time will tell. I still think the sample size is relatively small. Also, remember, Darnold has missed a number of weeks this season because of Mono. Not to excuse some of the decisions that he's made, make you scratch your head. There's no doubt about that, Paul. But, you know, he hasn't really had truly two full years of starting material to work with because he's been sidelined for so much. But, you know, as you noted, the running game, 30th in the NFL. They're averaging just over 66 yards per game. This is just the one game. And we've seen this time and time again, Paul, throughout the season, where opponents are struggling in certain areas, and 
it's the get right game for them, right? Mm -hmm. Against the Giants. This is not the type of game that you want to allow Sam Darnold to be comfortable, Paul. Correct. And then he feels as if, all right, I got additional time. And then he looks like Joe Namath. Correct. Because, listen, (laughs) we've seen that. You come into a game and you're like, oh, the numbers are anemic. They don't look good. And then all of a sudden, yeah, a guy starts looking much better. And the reason I bring that up, the one win that the Jets have had this season came at the expense of the Cowboys. And what was... The difference in that Cowboys game compared to some other games, Dallas did not blitz Sam Darnold. They let him see the field. Mm -hmm. They let him get very comfortable. And the Giants should watch that Dallas film, and they should say to themselves, we cannot afford to duplicate what happened. Now, I know the Cowboys had a lot of injuries in that game, but still, they did not make him feel uncomfortable. You have to make Sam Darnold feel uncomfortable so that he gets put in a position like he did against Miami, Paul, where he's making some of those throws where he's about to be brought down, and instead of throwing the ball away, he throws it into a territory where only the opposition is going to be able right. to come up with it. You know, if you're the Giants, in my opinion, and I'm and I'm going to respect Le'Veon Bell for what he's done throughout his career and Which say, yes, you have to deal with him, but... Really, when you look at the Jets right now, there are two guys in the passing game who have issue. Now, Donald has only completed three passes this year of 30 yards or more. That's it. One of them against the Cowboys, by the way. I'm just <clears throat> okay. telling you the ongoing trend. Okay. Yeah. But when he's in trouble, his go-to guy is Jamison Crowder. Yeah. He leads this team in catches. He's got 43. Okay. And... He is his go-to guy. He's not looking for the running back. He's not looking for the tight end. He's looking for Crowder, who we know from his days with the Redskins is a very accomplished slot receiver, one of the better ones in the league. Okay? Absolutely. So he's going to be going up against Corey Ballantyne, who last weekend played his first game in the slot ever, ever. Didn't play any slot in college or in high school. First game ever in the slot was last week against the Cowboys, and I thought he held his own. I thought he did a solid job. So that's going to be an area, if you're the Giants, you want to be very careful with. You don't want to see Crowder using his craftiness to be able to potentially work some magic against Ballantyne. Ballantyne's going to have to be up to that task. That that's That's area number one that could be problematic. Number two is you look at Anderson. Now, here's the thing about Anderson. He caught a 92-yard touchdown pass against Dallas, which he's already alluded to. It's the longest pass reception in the National Football League this year. What happened? He ran a double move on the right side against one-on-one coverage against the Woozy, who, by the way, I thought the Giants should have been able to take advantage of on Sunday with Slayton, and they really didn't do it. And... Pass was long downfield, was about 40, 50 yards, I think it was, as I recall. Yeah, and then he ran the rest of it. And then he ran the rest of the way on a catch and one, but it was one-on-one man-to-man coverage. Yep. So once he beat him on a double move and he got a woozy tripped up, he had no chance to recover. Clear path. And there was no safety over the top because it was was man. So Anderson, Anderson, can he's averaging 14 yards a catch. He is the only deep threat on this Jets roster. And there are moments where... He can beat you. So those, to me, are the two guys besides the obvious Le'Veon Bell, if he gets his running game going, 
that that you need to be concerned about if you're the Giants. Yeah, they have Demarius Thomas. He's been relatively quiet. Hasn't done much. Since he's come aboard reuniting with Adam Gase. Dropsies too this yeah. year. From their days with Denver. You know, the other interesting player is Chris Herndon, the tight end, who's been banged up a little bit. Yeah. And there's a chance he may return. He's got a hamstring injury. He was limited in practice the other day. So, you know, that's somebody else that would be a go-to guy for Sam Darnold. But I would agree with you, Paul. Jamison Crowder is the guy that he leans on. And while, yes, the Giants have since changed up who's in the slot because Ballantyne took over Grant Haley last week. Remember, Danny Amendola in that Detroit game had a field day on those crossing routes and then all of a sudden getting out in open space. So that's something that I'm sure if you're the Jets, you're going to look at some of the other slot receivers who have had success against the Giants and you can at least test the Giants' defense early in that regard well, to see if it works for you. Grant Haley, to be per- perfectly frank with you, had a rough first half of the season. He was much better in the second half of last year when he, by the way, wound up playing slot for the first time in his career. And it went really well for the final two months of 2018. But the first two months of 2019, not so much. So now it's Valentine's job for the moment. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We're going to get to your phone calls and tweets as we move along here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Jason is in Eastern Maine. Jason, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? How are you guys doing today? We're doing all right. What's Hi. happening? Good, good. Um, I asked this yesterday, but I wanted to ask you guys uh, as well. It just it, it seems at the end of the games when there's about five, six minutes left, we need maybe a couple scores, you know, sometimes during the season that uh, we're throwing a lot of five-yarders that are or five- to eight-yard passes that are even in bounds, not getting out of bounds, and it seems like we're running a lot of clock on those two minutes. It doesn't seem like we take a lot of deep shots. Do you, do you guys, uh, is there a reason for that, or uh, like is it the offensive line or something, or is it just not in their scheme? Like, why don't they try and throw deep at the end of games where they really need to to score. I know it's 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 going to be a long shot, but at least uh, you know, shouldn't we at least try to throw deep sometimes on those two minute drills? Well, remember the opposition is anticipating that they may take some chances. You know, normally defenses are in a position against the Giants late in games where they're just trying to keep everybody in front of them. So, you know, I think part of the philosophy is you take what the defense gives you under those circumstances. I don't think you could dismiss that. I, I get your point that if you try to target deep, you know, maybe you get a pass interference call and you're able to move the chains that way. But I think what's happened for the Giants is late in games, they've been playing catch-up and defense is saying to themselves, okay, the Giants need a touchdown. We're just going to keep you in front. We're going to prevent the big plays and we're going to force you to have those short passes and hope that you can get some yak yardage. So I think a lot of it is based on what the defense presents. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just just kind of wondering that. Uh, even though you know, like I said, it's it's kind of hard to do, but sometimes it's your only option is just to throw it deep and hope for something there. Um, before I go, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Kevin Gilbride, just because uh, I've watched the Giants since the late '80s, so I haven't watched them a long, long time, but probably over 30 years. And I just uh, I think during that stretch of time, I don't know what you think about it, Paul, but I I really think that was some of the best years for us as an offense for the Giants was uh, when he was there. So just wanted to give a shout-out to him. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, Jason. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks I so certainly much would, would have no objection to that statement about Kevin Gilbride. I would also say that, my goodness, so many writers and so many fans wanted to label Eli Manning as a criminal because he was throwing too many short passes. But now, hmm, Daniel Jones is having to throw a lot of short passes, too. 
I wonder why <laughs> that could possibly be that, uh, you know, nobody's too upset about that, but they wanted to crucify Eli Manning for it. Well, it's always interesting when you take one player out and you put another player in and you think that just that one player on an island is just going to magically make sure that everything else disappears. It's, I just I always find that interesting, that it, it, it returns me to the whole thing about quarterback records and this and that and how mm -hmm. important the environment, Paul, is to any quarterback, no matter who it is, whether it's a veteran or young guy, that the people around the quarterback are just as important as the quarterback himself. I just I always find that interesting. But, well, because they get a free pass, the quarterback is the magnet, and that's just the way yeah. it's going to be. But anyway, it's just always interesting, though, within a season when you see two different quarterbacks in and similar results, and then you start to realize, okay, well, maybe one guy doesn't do they have start to the realize? magic wand. I don't do know. Do they really start well, to realize? I think it's interesting you brought it do, up. Do so. you see anybody writing an apology? <laughs> well, I don't think that that's what I was expecting or that's what I was going for. I'm just saying from a big picture perspective, just a very interesting observation. Okay. Let's head back to the phone lines. Don is in Texas. Don, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, Lance. Hey, P-Dot. Hi. How we doing, Don? All right, guys. Usually when I call in, I usually make it quick. I'm just going to ask for a few extra minutes on this one. All right, guys? All right. So, what do you got? Ba so basically, a couple weeks ago, P-Dot, I called you and Russ, and I told you part of the problem of what's going on here is the fundamentals as well as the mistackling and the turnovers. I really have to add another layer to this, and this comes with the three eyes, and I'm going to get into all of them with you. The football IQ, the football identity, and football intimidation. So first, I would rather have guys who are getting beaten because they just flat out aren't as talented. A lot of the mental mistakes that you're seeing, and I'm not just going to single out a player. I'm not going to do that. There's so many things wrong here. But I'm also going to go right to the top all the way down to the bottom. Uh, the, some of the players, they just don't even look like they know what they're doing and then coming out and then it's, they're just out there floating around, running the wrong play, or they don't know the play. This is part of the part, uh, what the Patriots do. Great. Know your job. If not, you're out of there. This is one of those things with football IQ. You also got to make adjustments. And I want to put out a little, before I get to the other two points, with Pat Shermer, his best coaching year, and I remember when he was with Minnesota the year before he got hired with the Giants, he had two running backs in Murray and McKinnon after Cook went down. That was their identity. The IQ of the team of that Vikings, not because Case Keenan was really good, what they were a smart team and their identity with the mixed backfield, which leads me to Barkley as well. He needs a real complimentary back. As big and as strong as he is, he's more of a finesse type, and Wayne Gallman having zero carries is unacceptable. The next point that leads to is the football identity, and the identity leads to complementary football. And I'm going to take it back to Gettleman's first thing, with his first press conference. Run the ball, stuff the run, get to the passer. That is Giants football right there. And they, to me, the Giants right now currently look like a team without an identity. And the best way to protect Daniel Jones is to run the ball down the throat. Too much shotgun, not enough under center, not enough play action, not enough moving the pocket. It's predictable in shotgun. And the last thing I'm going to lead to is the intimidation. you got to be physical. This team is getting intimidated instead of being the intimidator. You're All right, well, well, we'll let you go on that note. A, a lot that you threw out there, Don, and appreciate the phone call. In terms of his point about the Minnesota Vikings, which I would agree with, uh, they certainly were a well-disciplined team. I think you also need to take into consideration they had Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, two really good receivers. Case Keenum took care of the football, 
Uh, that's also important to note. They had a really good defense, okay? You know, let's not forget about all of these things. The defense was one of the top units in the NFL when Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator. The defense made plays. The defense took pressure off of the offense, and that's not a luxury that the Giants have right now this season. So if you just want to examine the offense, I get your point, but you got to look at the other side of the ball. You know, Mike Zimmer and company, you know, had one of the best defensive units in the league. Go and look up that group statistically. The other thing is, I would not necessarily classify Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray in the same class as Saquon Barkley. True workhorses that are capable and have a track record of having about 20 carries a game, whereas Barkley does have that, even though his sample size may be relatively small because he hasn't been in the league very long. So the dynamic's a little bit different in terms of the comparison to the Minnesota Vikings, Paul, that the caller was mentioning there. As with respect to his larger points, yeah, I mean, you got to be able to run the football, you got to be able to stop the run, and you got to be able to win the battle in the trenches. But I wouldn't say that that's just necessarily a Giants identity. I think good teams across the league do that. I don't think that has necessarily anything to do with the Giants. I think any team that wants to make the playoffs consistently and be a force has to win those battles. Well, you know how I feel about balance and about power football. The Giants are running the ball uh, just over 34% of the time which is the fourth lowest percentage in the NFL right now. Last year, they ran it just about 36% of the time. So we're talking minuscule carries between last year and this year in terms of the percentage. It's not much. Uh, The problem is, let's not kid ourselves, when you get inconsistent production, whether it's in the passing game or in the running game, you're putting extra stress on a defense that, as we all know, is challenged right now. And you can't do that. So when the caller says you got to play complementary football, well, really what he's trying to say is the defense is challenged. You have to do everything you can to help them out from the outside, i.e., having an offense that's going to consistently control the clock. And how many times have you heard me say on this show, when you're a mediocre team, one of the best ways to help yourself is to control the time of possession. And especially in the first half of games. The Giants have not done a good job with that at all. The problem is, though, when you consistently get down 14 nothing. 17 nothing, which had been the case before the well, Dallas game. And that's what happens when you give up nine-minute scoring drives in the Correct. first half. Well, but then all of a sudden there's a little bit more urgency, I guess my point is, Paul, to put points on the board. And you wanted to go into a game saying, hey, we're going to pound the football. And now all of a sudden you got to get into a two-minute type of offense and you got to start throwing the football. So I don't think game flow has allowed the Giants to have the luxury of that complementary type of football and that balance that the caller was hitting on. Well... There is a counter to that, Lance, and that is you take the opening kickoff and you go down the field and put seven points on the board on the first drive. As opposed to deferring, you're saying. That's the counter to that. If you really want to force feed a resistance to what you're talking about, you take the ball right out of the get-go and you take it eight minutes down the field and slam it into the end zone for a touchdown and then put the other team on their heels. And, at the same time, have controlled the clock and the time of possession and given your defense an opportunity, a fresh start, if you will, to try to see some momentum. 
201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's head back to the lines. Jose is in Orlando. Jose, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Good afternoon, Lance and Paul. How are you guys today? Hello. Do right. Nice to talk to you. All right, good. I, 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 often, I, I call often. I just have a couple of things I want to unwrap here and bear with me for a second. Um, and, and I respect you guys. I listen to the show all the time. I call in all the time. Uh, there is one thing, though, that I, I disagree with a little bit. Uh, the first caller wanted to talk about a draft pick, and I get that, that it's early in the season. But right now we have guys that are employed by the New York football giants who are out there scouting players. So are always looking to get this team better. Uh, I guess maybe he just wanted to give a suggestion. Well, Jose, first of all, Jose, first of all, let me jump in. Number one, he did not give a legitimate prospect. Okay, that's number one. Okay, so right, that's I why we that. shot him down. He was trying to be funny, yeah, exactly. So I, I get that okay, that, that was number one. Number two, number two, as you well know, as somebody who's listened and followed to this program, Paul, John, and I, and Jeff, when he's here in the offseason, we spend every single week, we go over prospects from every single team. We are going to exhaust the same amount of resources as we've done every single offseason, and we don't need to continue to prove ourselves. So when we're trying to focus on the season, you know, forgive us That's for wanting to saying, actually Lance. focus on the season That's not here. what I'm saying, Lance. Well, That's then, not what I'm saying. Okay, so then what, what exactly are you saying? What I'm saying is that what I wanted to do, I, I didn't even want to talk about prospects, and, and I know that dude was trying to be funny, you know, and I know we get that opportunity to talk to call you guys later and talk about draft picks, and I get that. Um, and there will be opportunities where I'll call back and talk about that. What I really wanted to say, first and foremost, more than anything, is if you guys see Sterling Shepard out there, um, please tell him that our fans are pulling for him. It's it's not easy coming back from two concussions sure. that close in time. I I played ball before, and I coach down here in Florida. I coach football as well, mm-hmm. so I know that's not easy what he's going through. And if they put him on the shelf for the rest of the year. As as an ex player and as a coach and as a fan of the New York Giants, I won't be upset with that because he needs to get better. That's number one. Um, we concur. Another thing I wanted to talk about is I have a scenario question for you guys, and and this is one thing that I'm looking at. And I know you guys had opportunity to talk to players and see players. You're on the inside. A lot of us don't see. Now, one thing I want to talk about is the offensive line. There's some things and some mistakes that I'm looking at. I record games. I watch them. I, I don't follow the football when I watch games. I look at players and things. And I'm seeing some things. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys. If, if Maybe I might be seeing something incorrectly. Is I'm seeing some of the mistakes that our offensive line is making that they were making last year with different players. So I don't think that the issue could be the players. I could be maybe there's opportunity for our offensive line coaches. because And I'll be specific. There were some stunts that the Dallas Cowboys were running mm-hmm. against us that we lost, that we were messing up with stunts again, mm-hmm. where the guard and the, where our guard and our centers and our tackles weren't communicating with each other on stunts. And these are things that teams are starting to game plan against our offensive line, where those are things that they can, they're coachable. Those are things that can be corrected. So hopefully we'll see that we're not headed towards a trend where this thing continues to happen. So I'm hoping that the Giants will make adjustments. Again, I know they talk about it. I know Coach Sherm talks about it as well. And lastly, I just wanted to give you this one thing. You're going to get calls from fans that are demanding for Coach Sherm, Schumer to get fired, and or I Schirmer. think that's ridiculous. And, 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 sorry, Shermer, you're right. I think that's ridiculous because people, for some reason, think that if you fire the head coach, your team's going to make it to the playoffs, even if they hire, like, Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah, of course. You guys got to <laughs> – you guys got to, you know, and fans need to understand that if, if you do go about that route, you're going to back your team up a little more because what's going to have to happen? The new coach is going to have to bring his coaches in, 
put in his game plan, and that takes time. So hold, pump the brakes a little bit on the, on the firing of our head coach. I'm just thinking about hopefully we'll make adjustments. I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to vent and to talk, but um, I'm really excited for, for next year again. Even though we have more games pulled out, I'm excited for us to continue to build because when Gettleman came, I always said, okay, it's going to be a three- or four-year process. With that said, guys, thank you for taking my call. I respect you guys. Hope you have a wonderful week. All right, Jose. Appreciate the phone call. Call us back again. Thanks so much for weighing in. You also don't want to start exposing your young quarterback to multiple offenses early in his career, too. And also, I've said this multiple times. I'll echo it again. There's a reason why certain franchises who play the game of musical chairs with their head coaches do not make the playoffs for decades. Forget years. Decades. And all you need to do is look at the team that Pat Shermer worked for previously, the Cleveland Browns, who have had a lot of different head coaches and a lot of different quarterbacks, by the way, over a short period of time. Forget a long period of time. Let's Mm -hmm. head back to the phone lines. Let's go to Scott in New Mexico. Scott, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? You're right, Scott. Scott. What's happening? Um, First of all, I was very interested in the the callers and your uh, analysis of what they were saying. But I think, Paul, you had one of the more salient points, I guess, for the entire season. Because I always, and I think I've made this statement numerous times about the running attack and how important it is and how you don't make the playoffs unless you can run. I was looking at the statistics lately, and in six games, Saquon Barkley has averaged about 66 yards approximately, and Wayne Goldman's averaging about 13 yards. And obviously it's approximately about 80 yards uh, between the two of them. Potentially, I know Saquon may not be at 100%. But He's not. He's not. Uh, and he admits and, to that, by the yeah. way. I'm not telling right. you anything you don't know. He he knows he's not 100%. That right. ankle is an issue, and you know he's going to have to deal with it the rest of the year. But uh, uh, in regards to this, um, a lot of the running plays, David Deal touched on this. They're not running perim- excuse me, perimeter runs. They're running up the middle. And mm-hmm. uh, in the last game, you had, uh, I think, 14 carries for 28 yards for Saquon Barkley. Right. Yep. So... Isn't this the very definition of insanity of trying to duplicate the same things game in, game out? Because obviously you both know the definition of insanity, trying to uh, replicate something and expecting different results. And game after game, you can watch uh, what's going on, and you see that the runs up the middle are they're getting nowhere. So, And they haven't changed it for nine games. So I'm wondering what's uh, – and regards to the last caller, in regards to coaching – the buck has to stop someplace, and the person who calls the plays, who sets the, the tenor for the team, is the head coach. Whether you believe he should be fired or not is inconsequential to me. It's what the performance is from game to game. And, Lance, you were saying that the teams were getting behind, but I don't know what the average number of um, uh, snaps you get in a game or, or possessions it's you get in a game. It's roughly about 72, 73. It used to be about 65, but the game has right. sped up a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so I don't think necessarily, even if you're down seven nothing or even down fourteen nothing, you abandon the run. But the real thing is, how do you get a motivational scenario going with the offensive line, which seems to be underperforming? And I mentioned this, Lance. I think I was on a conversation with you, with John, about the team regressing because I came up with statistics from 2018 versus 2019, and they were virtually the same. 
So I'm looking at a team that doesn't seem to be performing, but someone has to take responsibility for that. It can't be just a blanket, no one's doing anything right, because there is one person that does set the tenor for the team, and I wanted to get your opinions, which I'll be glad to take off the air in regards to that, because otherwise coaches would never get fired. And that's the thing that bothers me, because I think the nucleus of the team is there. They have players. I know there's been injuries, uh, but every team has been injured this year in the NFL. I mean, look at San Francisco, which is, hasn't lost the game, and they lost both of their tackles, uh, McGlinchey and uh, Staley, and they're still uh, playing uh, ex- extraordinarily well. Yeah. So uh, my, my frustration, not frustration, but my per- why I'm perplexed about this is why hasn't this situation, certainly with the running attack, been corrected by then? Uh, and thanks, guys. I'll listen to your comments off the air. Sure. All right, Scott. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Well, let's attack this in two, in two pieces, okay? It's been my general philosophy, as stated everywhere for years, is that the play calling and the head coach should be separate. Uh, I, don't, I don't run away from that. This has nothing to do with Pat Shermer in particular. I have always said the head coach should not call the plays. His offensive coordinator should. There are 14 head coaches in the NFL today out of the 32 who call their own plays. Ten of them previously came from a system where the head coach had called his own plays. So they were groomed in it, much like Pat Shermer was. Remember, he's an Andy Reid disciple. Reed, correct. Andy Reid's always called plays. For years. Yeah. For years until he changed recently. But for years. So this is what these guys know. Okay? I don't blame them for it. I don't say that they're wrong for it. My preference just happens to be that the head coach does not call the plays. It's my opinion that this game is so complicated, it's so fast, it's so fluid, that there are too many things going on. It's like a, a squirrel trying to cross the New Jersey Turnpike. It's, in my opinion, okay, I would not want that type of, of, of situation going on in my head on game day while the clock is rolling and while the ball is in play. I personally would like to see that part of it off my plate so that I could manage the game as opposed to calling the details of the game. I'd much rather manage the game. And that's what Parcells did. That's what Tom Coughlin Tom did. Yeah. Okay, that's, Is it any wonder that I would feel that way? I mean, those are the guys who, who, I, who you know, I cut my teeth on. So that's how I feel. It has nothing to do with Pat Shermer. Let me make that very, very clear. But that's a, an apples and oranges thing. I prefer apples. Other people prefer oranges. So that's the first thing I would say to you, how I dif- differ from what's happening here right now. Again, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong, but it's a preference that I have. The second part of the question. When the Giants are running the football, okay, and they get stuffed on these up-the-middle plays, many a times it's coming against not just an eight-man box, but actually a run blitz. And to his point or one of the other callers' points, the Giants' offensive line over the last two years has been very susceptible to blitzes in the A-gap, to stunts and twists, to slants, and this is one of the reasons why they match up horribly with the Dallas defensive front. They have been very susceptible to those things. Yeah, even going back to last season. 
No question. They've also, this year, if you've noticed the last couple of weeks, been very susceptible to delayed blitzes in the interior. Detroit. And Dallas. Yeah. Well, it's a copycat league, so no okay. surprise. So, so do I think that there's some type of issue there? Yeah, I do. I do. I can't tell you what the coaches are telling the players in the meeting rooms. I can't tell you that. I'm not in the meeting room. I can't tell you if the players understand it. Again, I'm not in the meeting room. We don't get to watch full practice. We get to watch 15 to 20 minutes of special teams, warm-ups, and positional drills. Well, guess what? Those things don't occur during that open period of the media. So I can't give you an answer to that either. But I can say you are right. Those things are apparent when you look at the tape. It's not happening. Those things need to be fixed. Somehow, some way, they need to be fixed. I can't tell you how, but I can absolutely confirm that those things are a problem. As far as your point about the play calling, listen, I see pros and cons on both sides. I don't think there is one right way that. Well, that's has why to it's be not followed. 32 to nothing. Yeah, right? No. 100%. If there was a right way and a wrong yeah, way, it'd be 32 everybody to nothing. would be doing it the same way. Because, for example, Sean Payton and Sean McVay come to mind, who are head coaches who call their plays, and they've had fairly good success. We've seen Ben McAdoo start as the play caller, and then he handed it off to Mike Sullivan. So we've also seen Mike McCarthy with the Packers start off as the play caller, and then you know what, say, hey, I'm going to allow somebody else to do it. Variety of different ways of doing things. But I also think that you can't dismiss the fact that a big part of why certain coaches are hired to be head coaches, Paul, is because they have an ability to come up with plays and call plays. So... What's the purpose of hiring a coach because of what he does from an offensive standpoint and then telling him, okay, you come here after five games, that's it. Give up the play calling. Then it defeats the purpose of hiring that coach. So I think that's why a lot of guys also hold on to it because that was a big selling point as to how they got the job. Especially a guy like Sean McVay, for example. They love the fact that he was a creative play caller, and I don't blame him, even when the Rams hit a three-game losing streak, for him to not say, hey, you know what, I'm going to give up the play calling because we've hit a patch where we're struggling. 201-939-4513. Outside of Doug Peterson, who was the last head coach who called his own plays and won a Super Bowl? Oh, won a Super Bowl, wow. Well, the Patriots have won so many. I'd have to bring up the list of Super Bowl champs. Do you have it in front of you here? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go all the way back to the uh, the 2010 Green Bay Packers. That's how long it With is. With McCarthy. Okay. With McCarthy. Yeah. And Peyton the year before that. And as far as I can tell, just by looking at this very, 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 very briefly, uh, those are probably the only two that I can find. But... Well, but I think also it would be interesting to see playoff success. And, 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 and of course, as I'm opposed not, to just winning the Super And Bowl. I'm only talking about maybe the last 20 years because we all know Tom Landry called the place for the Cowboys when they won championships. Yep. So that, that goes back a long, long way. I'm talking about today's NFL. In the last 20 years, I'm thinking, and, and again, please, this is a very unofficial, quick 10-second glance. I'm thinking those are the only guys. Well, but here's the thing. What about on the flip side? What about a head coach who calls his own defensive plays? Do you consider that as part of the equation? Or are you just looking at the offensive guys? The reason I bring that up, you know, Dan Quinn, when the Falcons got there, you know, he was heavily involved in terms of the play calling for the defense, not the offense, because you had Kyle Shanahan. See, here's the thing. So do you consider that 
as part of this conversation we're having. The question becomes, does the head coach call the specific plays? Does he have the play card, and does he call the specific plays, or does he do what Coughlin did? And that is, Gilbride calls the plays, Tom hears it in the headset, and has the right to veto or change the call. Well, unless somebody's going to publicly reveal that, it's hard to really truly tell okay. what exactly is now, happening. I know how the Giants have always done it. And I know how Coughlin ran it. I know how Parcells ran it when Earhart was calling the plays. Again, that's where I cut my teeth, so that's my preference. And I stand by that. I'm not, I'm not going to back off of it. I'm also not going to say that the other side is wrong. Let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Cecil is in the Bronx. Cecil, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Uh, how y'all fellas doing today? Hi. All right. What's on your mind? I'm I'm trying to pinpoint the problems of the Giants, and I feel that both trenches need to be upgraded before we can start to make any progress. The the offensive line is they're not strong enough at the point of attack. That's why Barkley is only getting two yards per carry or whatever. Everybody's getting pushed backwards or sideways when we play the Cowboys because all they do is come in on slants. And they have to get stronger. They have to either draft guys that's stronger on the offensive line because the weight room is not working for the guys we have now. Or they'll have to get some free agents that's, that's stronger on the, on the offensive and the defensive line. And uh, how do you feel about going to a 4-3 since we have more accomplished linemen than linebackers? I, I am in favor, and I have said it publicly, I'm in favor of a 4-3, especially since Leonard Williams came in that trade. But that's just okay. me. Again, that's just me. It's simply a preference. Because I know the coach, he, he likes a 3-4, but... Well, that's his background. Yep. And again, right. that's, and again, we, that's we, why we he was hired. Four, yeah. four, four. Now, when we had Connolly, I felt we was making a little progress, but that only lasted, I think, one game before well, he got hurt. And, and, and again, again, we knew that as the Giants were in Phase 2 of their reconstruction that depth was going to be an issue. You know, in phase two, you're still trying to build as competitive a team as possible. You don't have the luxury of necessarily adding depth to the equation until you get to phase three. So when a guy like Connolly, who was an immediate producer out of the draft, is doing well and then goes down, you know you're going to be taking on water. You know that's going to be a problem because this should be no surprise. The Giants understood that in phase two, Depth at several positions was going to be extremely thin. Okay, but why is he testing our depth by trying to play four linebackers when the linebacker unit is, you know, it's not really up to NFL standards? Well, I mean, instead Golden... Of, instead of playing the four linemen, we're, we're a little stronger. Well, Golden, though, is a proven veteran who's produced this season. Lorenzo Carter, they're developing, so they want to obviously continue to give him playing time. Alec Ogletree is a veteran, and they just brought in Dayon Buchanan. So, I mean, those are four guys right there that you can easily put on the field as your four linebackers. It's not as if, if they were throwing out four rookies... See, so I, I understand your point, and you're saying, well, maybe it makes sense to put more defensive linemen in, but, you know, a lot of those guys I just named, this is not their first rodeo. You know, we're, we're talking about veterans and then Lorenzo Carter, who, once again, they feel is going to be a big part of the defense moving forward. So the answer is not to then put him on the bench and let him observe. The answer is to let him go out and play. 
So well, I'm not saying bench him. I'm saying play the best three linebackers. But we, we're getting gashed on the run because we're not strong enough on the line. So if you put four linemen, Elliott said he had the easiest 140 yards. Well, of course he had. did. Well, because because the Dallas offensive line up front was building up the holes. But to me, it's not so simple that. You know, you bring in an extra defensive lineman, and now you're going to start stopping the run. The three guys that are up front also need to win their battles, too. Let's not excuse that. That goes hand-in-hand with stopping the run, too. The Giants are not the only defense in the NFL that runs a 3-4. (laughs) There's plenty of defenses that have three guys up front, and they get the job done, or at least they stick to that defense. So I don't think it's the philosophy just because you're struggling. Now, all of a sudden, you try to bring in an extra defensive lineman out there, and that's all of a sudden going to solve all your problems. I agree with True, you. You, you put you put your best personnel on the field. That I agree with you. But if James Betcher feels that having the fourth linebacker out there gives him the best chance to win, then that's how he's going to operate moving forward. Their record is two and seven. It hasn't been proven on the field, though. Well, how many games do you want to try to experiment with that without making some kind of changes? Well, and I think that's why they brought in some other linebackers since you know by adding a guy like Buchanan who's seen his snap count go up. Now the last game went from 11 to 28 snaps. I'm assuming that snap count's going to go up. And also Leonard Williams was just acquired. So, you know, he's going to get more and more comfortable as the weeks go along. And and you figure his snap count is going to continue to increase, which even Pat Shermer and James Betcher indicated that they wouldn't be surprised if that happened. So, you know, a lot of the new faces, they're just arriving. I I think we got to see a few more games before you start saying they got to go in a completely new direction. Not not, 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 not new, just... Change it up a little, you know. Well, but like but but here's play, the thing: they don't play eleven personnel a hundred percent of the time. They switch it up every now and then. So why not put the four linemen out there and see how that worked for a little, you know, for a couple of series and see how it worked? Switch it up. This well, way you have something to some kind of basis to go off on and see which direction you want to go. Well, and, and like and like I said, and like I said, since Leonard Williams just arrived, we're talking about one game that he's been on the field there's perhaps going to be an opportunity to show that look more often. But, you know, until we see a few more games with Leonard Williams out there, it's hard to say that that's not going to be done. That's my larger point. And appreciate the phone call, Cecil. Thanks so much for joining the program here. You know, they are going to continue to employ Leonard Williams, Paul. I mean, even he himself said, as impressive as it was to see how many snaps he was out there and how active he was, you know, he was still asking Dexter Lawrence as a reminder, okay, what play are we in? Is this where I'm supposed to line up? You can't expect him to snap his fingers and everything to be, you know, sailing smoothly that quickly. So once he's on the field, once he gets a few more games under his belt, I don't think it's crazy to think that maybe they switch up some of the looks, but you can't expect that to happen immediately after just one game. I understand. That's all. I, I just think you know, that's asking for a it lot. Is, it is, as Coach Schumer has admitted, though, in one of the easier positions to make that yeah. adjustment if you're going to do it. Well, it is, but even Leonard Williams himself is not going to be the first one to say, oh, yeah, I just lined up, and because I played defensive lineman for the Jets, I just get after the quarterback. There's still some nuances to a play that you have to know the ins and outs. So, you know, if the player, and I don't think Leonard Williams is doing that, you know, to prevent himself no, from coming no, off as, oh, no, I'm the no, greatest no, no, defensive no, lineman. I think he was I, truthful. I, I think he was upfront. I think he was, I think very, he was being honest. Very yeah. frank. I and, have no problem with that. And he that. was saying, hey, it, it was a bit overwhelming last week. 
yeah, I was adapting to a new team, new personnel, a new scheme. And yeah, there were times during the game where I looked over at Dexter Lawrence and I just wanted assurance from him that I was in the right spot. And I don't blame him. You know, better you do that than just go out on your own, right, on a tangent and act as if you know That's what fair. you're doing. No, so I, I think he was fair. brutally honest with the media when he was expressing that. And that's why I said, when callers are coming in and saying they should move this personnel around, if Leonard Williams is saying, hey, I'm just getting my feet wet with the Giants, James Betcher is not going to do his due diligence to say, well, let's get extremely creative week one when Leonard Williams just arrived. It, it just, to me, you're hurting the player more than you're helping him under those circumstances. It's it's a fair, definitely a fair point. However, I would also add that, you know, given the Giants' troubles against the run this year, whether or not it was Leonard Williams or even Olsen Pierre, uh, you could certainly make a case for doing a lot more fourth rate. And, you know, I, I prefer it myself. But, again, apples and oranges. I'm not going to tell anybody that they're right or they're wrong. I'm simply going to tell you what my preference is. We got a few minutes left. A few callers still on the line, so I want to get an opportunity to have everybody voice what they have to say. But let's try to at least keep it short, sweet, and to the point. Bruce is in Albany. Bruce, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hi, guys. I'm glad to see Spencer Pulley's finally going to get a chance, chance to get in there because Jalapio, this basically is his first year at center. He got hurt so early last year. Yeah. And I think if you look at the sample size that we have on both players now, I don't think there's any comparison. A lot of the problems we were having on the offensive line last year, they went away when Pulley started playing. He, he's, I think he's just a smarter setter. I don't care about how big he is or anything else. Uh, and the other thing is, I'd love to see Eli Manning call on the plays. That's, is that a crazy idea? Well, I can tell you that's not going to happen. <laughs> you oh, can I, wish I'm for it, but it's not going to happen. Be, why not? The guy <laughs> probably knows more about offense than anybody in the coaching staff. I, I'd love seeing that. Well, I don't doubt his knowledge of the offense. <laughs> I won't disagree with you. Yeah, oh, I'm just boy. telling you that that's not going to be happening. You know, as big an Eli <laughs> fan as yeah. I am, okay, I can honestly tell you that never crossed my mind. <laughs> it did now. <laughs> I pers- no, you made it <laughs> yeah, cross my ma- mind. He made it cross your mind. Yeah, I don't think you were necessarily <laughs> oh, coming boy. up with that in the that's lab. Right. And, uh, that's all I got. All right, Bruce. Appreciate, <laughs> appreciate the phone it. Call. You brought a smile to my face. I haven't done that much lately. Thank you. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that Eli Manning has the knowledge to uh, oh, uh, be no a play question. caller. There's yeah, no I, question. I don't know, though, after his lengthy career comes to an end, if the first thing he wants oh, to now delve to into is coaching. He might he might coach some, like, youth team. Yeah, I could see that. I could see him coaching, you Absolutely. know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. Yeah. I could see him doing that because he'd be great with kids. Correct. But I, I don't he's see him. He's got enough of them himself. <laughs> yeah, I don't see him crying. Thinking, well, plus, he's got some nephews, too, that, from what I hear, are pretty talented that I'm sure he could uh, so. be coaching up, too. Let's uh, go to Chris in New Jersey. Chris, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. I'll make this quick. I know we're pressed for time. Yes, sir. So, guys, uh, I'm going to throw a few names at you. Henry Hanoski, Madison Hedgecock. I'll even go back to Jim Finn and Greg Camella. Yep. I know we got Elijah Penny. Yep. And he did a great job when, he, when he's in there uh, catching balls, and he made a great play blocking that punt against the Cardinals. And, you know, I was going along with, with Shermer's theme here with he wants a pass-catching fullback. Well, it's not like they're utilizing Penny, you know, coming out of the backfield for five or six catches a game as a fullback. My problem is uh, we've had problems on the offensive line. I, I want a, tr- a traditional fullback. Going, going back to a few callers earlier, talking about the identity. What is the identity of this team? And going back to what Gettleman said with the, with the smash-mouth type of football, that's one thing that's missed from Giants football in a number of years. We got to, in the offseason, my wish – is, is a traditional fullback. 
a guy that can get up there in Barkley, get to the second level, put a hat on somebody. And that's something that I think that will, you know, help uh, Barkley's longevity and also create, you know, uh, Barkley reaching that second level. Um, you know, m- many times last game with those dive plays, could have used the fullback. And that's one thing I think when we talk about giant football is, is going back to that traditional fullback. Point well taken. Uh, Elijah Penny has played a total of 97 snaps so far this season. Uh, only twice during this year in weeks five and six did he play more than uh, 20% of, of the plays in the game. In fact, the most snaps he's ever seen in a game this year was 25 in week number five, which was 36% of the snaps that particular weekend. Uh, I suspect the reason that you're not, and I don't know the answer to this, I have been negligent in asking the question perhaps, and so I will plead guilty. Uh, Perhaps it's because the Giants have had so many injuries at the wide receiver and tight end position that they feel they need that extra body out there because their starters who would have been counted on to produce at a very high level, have not been available to them. Therefore, they believe that putting extra quantity of guys on the field, therefore the the three wide receivers, uh, may be one of the reasons. Uh, you could argue a lot of times also them getting behind is another reason right. why they're going to use a lot yeah. of three wide receiver sets. There can be a plethora of reasons why this is the case, you know. but I go back to Maurice Carthon and Joe Morris. You know, and mm-hmm. quite frankly, I, I can even go back a lot further than that, but I won't bore you with those details. Well, the other thing is, right. remember, you know, Red Ellison served as a fullback for Adrian Peterson. So, you know, he could play the position too, but to your they point. They haven't used him that way at well, all. No, they haven't. But to your point, Paul, this is where the injury plays a role. Now, with Evan Ingram down, okay, Red Ellison's got to be a tight end because he's one of their best options. But they don't have nearly as much depth at tight end because, remember, they let a few guys go over the last few weeks. So here's where you can't afford to even move him, let's say, into the fullback role because you need him to take on the tight end position. So injuries, I think, has certainly complicated matters. Yeah, and, and guys, before I go, you know, I'm, I'm more or less talking about next year. You know, we're, we're halfway through the season, and I'm talking about next year when, when uh, you know, when, the, when they hit the uh, spring workouts and, and we're looking for free agents or draft picks to, uh, to just go back. And I go back to Carthon too. I mean, coming over for the Generals, you know where Carthon came. But you know that whole that whole um, plethora of fullbacks that we've had. It just it just uh, you you couldn't go you couldn't have that Giants running game without that traditional fullback, in my opinion. Well, but, uh, I think again, guys, yeah, you got it, it, Chris, and appreciate the phone call. I just think also the fullback position has changed in terms of the creativity and the way teams are utilizing guys. For example, Baltimore has a fullback who is like an extra offensive lineman that they bring in, and the Niners, I know a caller referenced San Francisco, Kyle Juszczyk, who's now going to slowly be returning. He's like a jack-of-all-trades. He's a Swiss Army knife. He's mm-hmm. not just always used as the guy that's going to line up in front of Tevin Coleman or Matt Breida and unclog the hole he's also utilized as a receiver by Kyle Shannon so the definition of the fullback that the caller was referencing and you were reminiscing about Paul I just don't look at that as the fullback of now that's the fullback more of old than the fullback of today where you have a guy in the roster you put him in the I formation you line him up in front of the running back and you say hey block very few teams are going to dedicate one guy on the 53 man roster to that let's face it you're right they, they just they can't afford that resource. The game has morphed, and yeah. that position has become really a dinosaur when you're down to it. All right, let's close up shop. We don't necessarily save the best for last because I want to make that very clear, but we're going to squeeze in Charlie in Portland, Maine. <laughs> Why did Charlie, I know what's you happening? were going there? Hello, Charlie. Hey, guys. Hey, you know, how are you going to create a winning culture 
when you keep losing. You can't create a winning culture unless you win. You know, we're not winning games. We haven't won games for so long. You know what, Charlie? Well, before you go anywhere else, I'm going to stop you right there. That's exactly why the next two months are very, very important. For anybody who says, okay, Giants are 2-7, and seven, they're out of it, it doesn't matter, who cares, mail it in, I don't want to bother watching the games anymore, it, it's worthless. No, that could not be further from the truth because what you're saying is absolutely correct. It is critical for this organization and the players in that locker room, whoever may stay going through the offseason, that they start to turn the ship around and win some of these games. It won't matter with the playoff schedule in January, but it will matter as to the makeup of this roster going forward. Uh, yeah, uh, totally. I agree and, with you. And, wow, uh, pigs are flying today. Yeah. Magical. <laughs> no, but, also, but he's right. Also, also, look, you know, the thing is, is like, Fetcher is, you know, I, I don't know what he's doing. His scheme is too complicated for these rookies. He, I mean, you know, Baker saying, I don't even know where I'm supposed to be. And then I just saw, I just saw, you know, this questioning with uh, Shula, uh, not Shula, uh, Shermer, about, uh, you know, the 40-yard pass. And he was saying, well, you know, Corey Valentine was supposed to be in man, only, but only until about 10 or 20 yards down. Then he was supposed to switch over to, to zone. And then the other guys on the other side were in man. And then they were supposed to switch over to zone to pick the guy up coming across. I mean, this is third and fourteen. What are you doing? Either be in man or be in zone. What he doesn't know how to simplify his defense to save his life. It's it's ridiculous. And this is and if and if you want to blame the player, then it's still on the coach. Why is he still playing if he doesn't know the plays? It's ridiculous. And the same thing with Hal Hunter, who will be hunting for a job soon. If he can't get these offensive linemen, which are so much better than we had a year ago, to figure out stunts, what is he doing? You know, and and what you're saying, Paul, is like, Shermer should hand off the play calling to Shuler for the last seven games. No, I didn't, I didn't he say do. he needs to do anything. I simply told well, you what know, my preference would be that, if if I'm I were a GM. That. Yeah, he's saying that. If, the, the new general if, manager of the okay. 33rd and, and, NFL and, and, franchise and we, is saying that, yes. Know. If we get embarrassed by the Jets and we lose, and Mr. Fumbles is still fumbling two or three times in that game, and we're still giving up 40-yard touchdowns, third and 12 and third and 15, believe me, that, you know, you know, Mara is not going to fire him, but he should damn well say, give the play calling to somebody else, and and I would fire Betcher and and just find somebody else on your coach's staff who can just run a simple defense. You know, I, I'm, it, there's going to be changes if we lose this game, especially if we get embarrassed in it. You know, that's the way I see it, and I think that's the way the president of the company sees it. All right, Charlie. Have okay, a good guys. day. Always good to hear from Charlie in Portland, Maine. He just wants to get rid of everybody. <laughs> Calls are consistent. No different than any other. Well, that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, if you subscribe to the Giants audio podcast, please note beginning December 1st, 
Big Blue Kickoff Live is going to have its own dedicated podcast. You can begin subscribing now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. Again, starting December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live, it will no longer be available in the Giants audio podcast section. So you're going to have to subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast. You can still watch or listen to the show on Giants.com and the Giants app. So note that. Depending on how you follow the program, we certainly appreciate you tuning in. We'll try to address some of your tweets off the air. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running again tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern as we get you set for the Giants and Jets at MetLife Stadium this weekend. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Stay locked to Giants.com. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.